We are uh, finishing this uh, the series uh, of connection that we've been walking through uh, for a while now, being connected to God, being connected to each other, and being connected to the rest of the world. Last week, we'd be, we, uh, we took it out to the rest of the world, um, and, and t- today we're going to finish it uh, by knowing exactly where those places are that we should go. So how many of you are familiar with The Rock? Do you smell what The Rock is cooking? How many of you are familiar with The Rock? And you can do the eyebrow, and you know exactly what I'm talking about when I do that. Okay, for the rest of you that have um, standards, this is wrestling, uh, is what I'm talking about. Uh, So those of you who just raised your hand, you're my people. Uh, I love that about you. Yeah, so Dwayne Johnson, uh, you might know him from famous movies like The Tooth Fairy uh, that he was in. Great movie. Dwayne played The Tooth Fairy just wonderfully well. Oscar-worthy, I thought he was passed over that year, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, The Rock is this, uh, this formidable force, this, this huge presence. I mean, Dwayne is this huge guy, right? I mean, he's big. He always has a smile on his face, though. Um, and he just seems like a lovable guy, hence he was cast as the Tooth Fairy. But uh, he's this huge person. And it's like, you can't move The Rock. Well, he wasn't the originator of the wrestling term The Rock. There was somebody sometime earlier that was given that handle. And his name was Simon. In the Gospel of Matthew, that's right, we just tied wrestling into the Gospel of Matthew. (laughs) Chapter 16, verse 13, uh, Jesus says, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now in this, you have Simon Peter taking on his wrestler's name, the rock. You have this transformation of who Simon is. He becomes at this moment... The leader, he's been the leader of the disciples all along because he was the oldest. And if you notice, he is the one who jumps into interaction with Jesus first every time. He is the one who generally speaks first because the younger disciples know when Jesus is talking and asking the disciples a question, he wants to hear from Peter first because he's the oldest. And so they go to Peter. So there's been been this thing set up all along, but now here comes the moment where Jesus says, you're the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And some translations say it this way, and the gates of hell will not conquer it. You know, like, now, this is great. And it's a great part of the gospel of Matthew and what's going on here. That Jesus has just had this interaction with some of the, the, the leaders of religious law, they are called. And they're going, hey, give us a sign, Jesus. Give us a sign, some miraculous sign. And Jesus had just finished feeding 4,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. You know, he's like, like, for real? <laughs> you, you need a, another sign? 
Um, and he kind of, you know, condemns them for that and says, you can read the signs of the weather, but you don't understand who's standing in your midst when stuff like that goes down. Okay. And he moves on and then he tells his disciples, he says, hey, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're like, he just fed 4,000. He's probably talking about bread. But uh, did, did you bring bread? Are we going to feed more people? And he's like, ah. They're teaching. Beware of the little things that get inside of you and change you and, to, and turn you away from where I'm calling you to be. And then it says they traveled to Caesarea Philippi. Now, we know that they were just on the Sea of Galilee, right? Caesarea Philippi is 25 miles north, uh, northeast of, of the Sea of Galilee. And so when you're walking, that's like a two-day journey. So there's some traveling time there. There's some traveling music. And we don't know what was going on because Matthew doesn't tell us what, what's happening between the time they leave the sea to go up to this other area. Now, one thing you may ask is, how come you're going so far, Jesus? Why the journey? What's going on? Anytime an area is mentioned, you should go, okay, why do I need to know that they were in Caesarea Philippi? Why is this a big deal? So they go for two days, they travel for two days, and they get into this region, Caesarea Philippi, out of the area where Herod uh, is under control at the time. And they go up into this area. Now, what you need to know about Caesarea Philippi is a couple of things. One, a lot of scholars say that right in the neighborhood, there was 14 temples or shrines to various gods, various pagan gods, Syrian gods, um, Greek gods, Roman gods. There's even, before you get to Caesarea Philippi, you see in the distance this beautiful white marble temple built for Caesar because Caesar was God, declared himself God at this time. So there's this huge, glorious temple that you can see shining in the distance. God, we're coming into this area that is all about religion. This huge area where religion is a big deal to them. And they go into different temples and different sacrifices and different uh, things. Now, there's this other area, and there's this cave, this really big cave that's cut into the side, um, naturally, to the side of a hill. And Josephus, when he writes about this, says that there is this immovable water that exists in this cave. And when you throw a length of cable down to find the bottom, there is not length of cable enough to find the bottom. It's a deep, deep cave. A lot of people considered this the gateway to hell. You're going south. We all know where south goes. Unless you're you know, in Texas, then we know. But if you're going to the south, uh, you're going to hell. This cave was said to be one of the caves of Pan, the god of fertility and the god of nature. And he is half goat on the bottom and he had horns on top, but the rest of him was man. He was the god of nature, the god of fertility. So there's a lot of sexual stuff that went along with the worship of Pan. If you ever have an inkling and go Google God of Pan and look at images, there is some stuff that you're like, whoa, that is crazy. This is a place where that was worshipped. This is a place where all this went on. So you have Jesus who's just come from the Sea of Galilee, where they're, the pocket where they're comfortable, right? It's like this orthodox triangle where, where they've grown up, the disciples. They know this place. It's home. They, around every corner, they're like, hey, I remember when Uncle Zebedee was over there. Oh, yeah, that was where whatever happened. And they know the stories and all this stuff. They're around Jews. But then he takes them up into Caesarea Philippi, this region where probably none of them had been before. And they're going to encounter things that they probably had never seen before. But he takes them on this journey, this two-day journey. We don't know. I like to think of it this way, that Jesus didn't say a word the entire time. 
He left. He drops the yeast of the Pharisees. And now they're sitting in the back going, all right, which one of you has yeast? You know, Jesus just walking ahead and they're following along. And they're like, Thomas, I bet it's you. You have the yeast, don't you? No, Judas, it's got to be you, right? You know, and they're just bantering back and forth. They stop for the night. They have a meal. They get back up. They go into Caesarea Philippi. Now, when you walk into this area, Caesarea Philippi, there's a few things. One, you immediately notice this beautiful water, this water that just comes out, and it's crystal clear water. It's water. When I was there, I was like, I need myself a fly rod right now. Like, it was that kind of water. You're like, this is awesome. This is going to be the greatest day ever. It's just beautiful. Some people think that this is the headwaters of the Jordan River coming out. Pretty significant, right? Jordan River. Think of all the stories that go along with that. Think of the stories of crossing the Jordan into the land of milk and honey and all the things Jesus baptized there. Here's the birthplace of it. Wow. And you go in. I like to think that maybe when Jesus entered in, he didn't say a thing. He just walks into the city. And he walks by and he looks at one of the shrines dedicated to some little God. And then... He goes to buy a temple and then he goes up to the cave and he stands there for a minute and he just stares. And he turns and he walks away and he walks by the temple dedicated to Caesar and he stands and he, and he gazes upon this man-made beautiful structure. And maybe people are coming and going, the life of the temple that's going on and, and sacrifices happening and the noises that go along with that and that's going on. And if, if the rabbi's not talking, the disciples certainly are not talking. So they're just standing there behind him doing what he's doing, right? Just watching. And then he walks on. And maybe he leaves Caesarea Philippi and finds a path and walks up onto this hill so that he can look down on the city. Maybe he just stands there for a while. Maybe he sits down and is looking. The disciples are doing the same thing. They're looking at the life go on in Caesarea Philippi. The comings and goings of these people, this shrine and that shrine, um, the God of Pan and, 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 and the temple dedicated to Caesar and all of this religion that's happening right there and all of this just evil stuff that's going on and, and the ways that they sacrificed people and the ways that they, they had this hor- horrendous morality issues going on with the God of Pan and all this stuff. And they're, they're just watching this happen. And maybe over his shoulder, Jesus says, hey, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, some say Elijah or Jeremiah or ooh, John the Baptist. You know, one of the other prophets, maybe at this point he turns to Peter and says, who do you say I am? You think it's that moment that it switched for Peter? You're the Messiah. Think about the significance of this moment for Peter. Because the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah forever. The prophecies that have been talking about who, who the Messiah is going to be, all of the different things, all of the places that they've been, all the things that Peter has known, is probably going through his brain right now. He's, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You're the Messiah. You're the one. And Jesus says, yeah, blessed are you because you finally get it. 
that God has finally lifted that little curtain up and you see it. From this point forward, you will no longer be known as Simon. You're Peter, which is a play on words with rock. You're the rock. And on this rock, the gates of hell will not prevail. Don't you think that the people down in the streets maybe heard? Who's that crazy Jew up there? What's he saying? How do you think the disciples were were functioning and, and reacting right there? Yes! Let's go get them! Let's go into that town and tell them who the Messiah is. Tell them about God. The gates of hell are nothing compared to the kingdom of heaven. You know, they've been expecting this Messiah for generations, and they thought this Messiah would come in this military-type fashion, this huge guy that would just wipe out everything that is oppressing the Jewish people. And all of a sudden, here comes the Messiah, and the Messiah is flipping everything on its head, right? He's like, no, 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 no. See, the kingdom of heaven is about love. It's about grace. It's about mercy and forgiveness and healing. This is the kingdom of heaven. And that gates of hell has nothing, nothing on the kingdom of heaven. And you're my guys. You're the ones who are going to stand on this rock and say, no, 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 not on our watch. Will the kingdom of heaven be turned away? You think Jesus took them there to show them that it wasn't just about the Orthodox Triangle? It wasn't just about the Sea of Galilee and all the people around there? You think maybe Jesus took that two-day journey up to Caesarea Philippi to say, Hey, guys, you're comfortable back home, but that's not the only place that needs light. There's a lot of darkness in this world, and you're going to have to carry that light into the darkness. Because my days are numbered, right? Immediately after this, he tells them, I'm going to be murdered, and I'm going to be stuck in a cave in three days. I will raise again. He's preparing them. You can't just stay here. There is darkness in the world that needs to find the light. You're my rock. And on this rock, the gates of hell will not prevail. So immediately when you start thinking about this, you start thinking, okay, where are the places of darkness in this world? If we are to go into the world being the light of Christ, where are those places? And you, like me, may think places in the Middle East, places where religions that stand counter to the love of God are violent and many. Those are dark places, and indeed they are. For me, I think of this place in Costa Rica. When we used to to go to this one area of Costa Rica, you'd land at the Alawea Airport, and you'd travel through going up to Carrillos. And and at one point, and I remember the turn very vividly. The first time I was there, I was with... Um, with Daryl and Carrie Spielhagen, and we were doing kind of a site trip and visiting the, the missionary down there. And, and we come up to this corner, and, and you bank left. And the, but the road goes straight and down this deep hill. And you go left. And our driver goes, never, ever go down that street. And Daryl and I are like, challenge accepted. How come? That's not true. Daryl and I were like, yes, sir, we will never go down that street. And Carrie Spielhagen's like, let's go now, is what really happened. But I like to think that we're stronger. He goes, because if you go down, you won't come back out. 
they call that place, what, what is it in uh, Costa Rican, Ryan? La Infernio. La Infernio. Now, you don't go down there. So the police don't go down there. The drugs, the violence, the prostitution that happened down on that little, that, down that street are so big that the police will stop at the border. You're on your own. I think of places like that. The gates of hell. But is that all he was talking about? I mean, you can bring it closer to home and say, wow, there's places in San Antonio that are dark. Places where violence and drugs and prostitution exist in big ways. And we don't like to talk about them because we like to think that our city is a wonderful city. And sure, those are those areas. It's just like the relatives you don't really like to talk about. We just kind of put them behind your back. Is he with you? No. But there are those places in our community, in our city. But maybe, but maybe he's talking about somewhere closer. Maybe he's talking about right here. Right here in our little community. Just because your zip code ends in certain digits doesn't mean you're exempt from darkness. Just because you live in a certain part of town doesn't mean that there's not darkness that lives right next door to you or across the street from you or even in your own home. Darkness exists when there is loneliness, when there is fear, when there is addiction, when there are affairs. Darkness exists when there is despair and sadness. Darkness exists all around us. And what God said is, you're a rock. And that darkness will not exist when you're there. Where are those places of darkness? Where are those places where despair is happening? Is it happening in your own neighborhood, in your own home? When marriages suffer, that's darkness. And we, the sons and daughters of light, are called to stand on the rock and say, no, no, no. That will not prevail. Where there is sickness and despair. I spent a good part of last week in an ICU at a hospital. And I saw despair and hurt and questions all over the place. And I stood in that ICU and I said, no, no, no. Not here, not now. Darkness will not overcome regardless of the circumstance. The gates of hell will not prevail regardless of the disease, regardless of the sickness. Where there are addictions and people spinning out of control and lost. That is where we are called to stand. That is where we are called to go. That is where we are called to carry the light. We are the rock. We are the rock upon which Jesus said, I am going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not, will not overtake it. The question I have for you is, where is that place of darkness in your life? Where is that place of darkness? Is it in your neighborhood, the the houses next to you? Is it in your own home? 
Are you thinking right now as I'm saying this, Michael, I'd love to, to be a light, but right now my life is a little dark. I'm dark. I'm a place of darkness. Where are those places? Where are those places that we as sons and daughters are called to enter in and to bring the kingdom of heaven with us, to bring that, that grace and that mercy and that healing and that peace and that love? A lot of times what we want to do is we want to pretend like darkness lives elsewhere. Darkness doesn't exist around here. All of our women are good looking, our men are strong, and our children above average. Not here. But does it? Can it? Can we be called right here? Not all of us are called to be missionaries to travel around the world and to bring the light of Christ. Praise God for those people that have that gift and calling. Most of us are called to be missionaries in our own neighborhood. Most of us are called to be the light of Christ right where we are. Isn't that wonderfully convenient of God? I don't need you to travel far. I just need you to be who I want you to be where you are. Can we be the rock? Can the world smell what we're cooking? My wrestling friends just went, yes. I've gone NPR and wrestling in like within two minutes of each other right there. That's right. I'm varied. Where are the places of darkness in your life? The worship team's coming up right now, and they are going to, uh, once again, lead us in, in worship. And I'm going to encourage all of you um, to stand. When they get up here, not yet, wait. When they get up here in the beginning. But right now what I want you to do is to, um, we're going to take a moment to be quiet and to let God talk to us about those places of darkness where maybe he's calling us to be the rock and to carry the light forward. Father, we thank you and praise you for the life that you have given us, for the gifts and talents that you have given us, for the ways that you have called us to be your rock, to stand in a world of darkness, shining forth the light of Christ. Lord, we pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see those places that exist in our world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods where darkness seems to be prevailing. May we have the courage to step into those places, knowing that we come with the full strength and the power of God, ushering in the kingdom of heaven. May we stand strong, shining the light of Christ in a world of darkness, so that all may know of their worth and value and the love of God. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
this morning. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance unto you and give you grace and peace. May you go forward this week with hearts full of thanksgiving and ready to share the love that we've received with others. In Jesus' name. said